we um, wondering about this morning things focusing on things in our lives maybe that aren't the central importance. Uh, when I was growing up, I used to watch a fair amount of tennis. And back in the 80s and 90s, uh, there were a lot of great American tennis players at that time. And, uh, one of my personal favorites was Andre Agassi. And I loved his long hair and his uh, just flamboyance. It was really quite interesting. I know he wasn't beloved by everyone, but I always found him so intriguing and interesting. And uh, as he uh, he was really a child prodigy in tennis. Uh, even he grew up in Las Vegas, was sent off to Florida by his dad to live in a, a sports boarding school to focus on his tennis game. And as he began to break through into the professional tennis world, uh, he uh, definitely had skills, but he was really struggling at the end of matches and the end of big tournaments to finish out the matches well and strongly. He uh, really lacked endurance, and so he changed. Uh, coaches and trainers, and he got uh, he uh, uh, had the the man who was uh, coaching uh, the sports trainer for the UNLV University uh, men's basketball team uh, to kind of be his personal trainer. And as he began to evaluate his training regimen, he uh, would ask him sort of the, the weight exercises, weightlifting exercises he would do, and he said, "Well, why why are you doing that?" And Agassiz's response was, "Well, I don't know. That's what my old trainer said to do." So Gil, his new trainer, would note it in his notebook. And he'd say, well, why, why are you doing this exercise that particular way? And he said, I don't know. That's what I was told to do. And so he would make another note in his notebook. And uh, he would say, what, are you running during the day? Yeah. Well, what, what are you running? He said, I run five miles every day. So well, why are you running five miles every day? So I don't know. That's what I was told to do. Right? And that's endurance. Gil writes his notebook again. And, he says, what else do you do? He says, well, I go out and run this big hill behind my house. It's called Snake Hill because there are deadly venomous snakes there. <laughs> Gil says, why do you do that? He says, I don't know. That's what my old trainer said I should do because it builds endurance. He says, what do you eat? And he looked over all of his uh, nutrition and everything and changed everything about what he was doing because what the new trainer uh, discovered and helped Andre Agassi discover was that he wanted endurance, and he wanted to win these particular tennis matches and these tournaments, but the way he was focusing about them, he was focusing on the wrong things to give them the results that he wanted. He, he wanted endurance and strength and strength laden matches so he wouldn't wilt any longer, but he was not finding it because he was focusing on the wrong things. And an adjustment in his particular focus allowed him to find at the end of matches greater strength. He had greater mental clarity. He had increased confidence. Uh, he was able to, instead of wilt, he uh, eventually began to break through and he would win some of the biggest tournaments in the world, uh, starting with Wimbledon. He won for the first time in 1992. He'd go on to win eight other uh, Grand Slam tournaments and became one of the real great tennis players of history. There are times, I know for us, that we may have something in our minds that we're aiming for, but yet we discover that in order to get there, we've been focused on the wrong things. And uh, it's become uh, not a pathway for effectiveness or success, but it's allowed it to take us in really a detour in the opposite direction. Take a plant, for example. If you're a gardener, um, you, you might take a plant, you, you go and plant it out in your garden, and, and you feed it, you water it, and you tend to it, and for some reason it's not thriving, it's not growing well, and uh, no matter how much you, you water it, no matter how 
what you feed it, no matter what you do to it, it doesn't thrive, and then you discover that it's a plant standing in the sun, and it doesn't like the sun. It needs more shade, and so no matter what you're doing to help bring vibrancy to that plant, it's not helping because you're focused on the wrong thing. You need to relocate that plant. Sometimes in our spiritual life, we can find ourselves in seasons where it's hard to sense a steady progression and growth in our spiritual life. And it's challenging at times to find the joy of God in the midst of our daily realities. And I wonder if those seasons are in part due to focusing on some of the wrong factors of our life. And today in our passage, Jesus helps unpack what it is that's really at the heart, to the center, the core of what we are to be focusing on to see God develop our spiritual life, to see God touch us and change us and to shape us into the men and the women that we, we so desperately need to be and want to become. And he helps us to focus on the right thing. So this morning, I want to ask you, if you have ears to hear what Jesus would say, maybe you would let him examine your life today and to see if you're focused on the right thing or if your focus is somewhere else. Mark chapter 7. In your Bibles, would you open Mark chapter 7. I'm going to read a good chunk of this chapter. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews who do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? In verse 6, Jesus replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And Jesus said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is forbidden, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this girl. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it does not, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's hearts, come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Living God, we pray this morning that your spirit would come and be our teacher and guide. That you, you would come and have your way in our hearts today. That you would come and have your way in this church this day. That we would be people that, that aren't just uh, hearers of the word, but we are doers of it. That help us to hear today attentively and respond actively and quickly. We pray, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us enough to not leave us where we are, but to call us to growth, to call us to become like you. Help us to take a step that way. Today we pray in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. The teaching of this whole passage really centers around verse 15, about what makes someone clean or unclean. What is it that, uh, that we do or don't do that, that makes us right, presentable before God or not? You see, the Pharisees... Uh, were people that had a focus on not just the word written in the scripture, but also a whole slew of what was called oral tradition of the Mishnah uh, of God. And they had certain catalogs of things that you should do and not do, certain catalogs of people that, that you, you should not interact with. And if you did interact with certain peoples, then it would uh, sour your ability to honor God, and it would soil your good reputation among the people. Jesus and his disciples in the chapters leading up to chapter 7, they had been uh, interacting with some of the very people on the Pharisees' catalog list of people you shouldn't interact with, like tax collectors and Gentiles and lepers and so forth. And so it's as if these, these learned scholars from Jerusalem now descend where Jesus and his disciples are. And it's almost like this... This high noon spiritual showdown is about to take place. You can almost hear the spaghetti western music in the background. If you listen closely, you might just hear it this morning. Well, maybe. Maybe your own mind's not. But the question the Pharisees pose is this. Why don't your disciples and you, Jesus, why don't you uphold the tradition of the elders? Because we Pharisees and good religious people know that that's what God requires. And what's happened is that they've really gone way beyond what God had said in the written scriptures. And Jesus then comes and he replies in verse 6. And he pulls out a quote from Isaiah. And he says, these are, you are like the people that Isaiah was talking about. Honor God with their lips, the hearts that are far from God. And then he calls them hypocrites. Hypocrite literally is a word out of the Greek stage where a person would stand up and put on different masks and play a different character. And he wasn't saying that, that the Pharisees were insincere in their play acting, but they were focused wrongly on their desire. Their desire was to honor God and be close to God, but their focus on how to do that was completely messed up. And it wasn't their sincerity. In fact, they were very sincere about what they were aiming to do. They were just aiming in the wrong place. They were aiming and looking at all of the external things and so unconcerned about the reality of how the heart is affected and how the heart and the inner space of the life affects every facet of our being. 
And so they wouldn't attend to that. And so it was easy for them to create lists and catalogs of things to touch and not touch and do and not do and go here on these days and don't go here on these days. And those were the easy things for them to monitor. And so they missed the whole, the whole thing along the way. It's like they were trying to run up Snake Hill. Trying to get into spiritual shape by aiming at the wrong things. You see, the theory that they worked on was that interior spaces of things, of objects, were more susceptible to defilement, more susceptible to becoming dirty through the eyes of God. Here's kind of how it works, is that uh, even in, in materials in your home, for instance, a flat surface was less likely to become defiled than a, a curved surface like a spoon or a cup, or a container, a pitcher. Because the interior spaces were more apt to become defiled, to become dirty, for uh, the, the infection of sin to grab hold and to take roots. And uh, that, that was the theory that they had. And so those types of materials, pitchers and cups and bowls, they needed extra attention and extra cleansing so that they would not be dirty and defiled when somebody uses Jesus takes that same theory and and he he shifts it dramatically. And and the flow is completely different because Jesus says it's not not about the the interior spaces of an object out here in the world that is important to God. It's about the interior space of your life that's important to God. It's about the heart and the inner world that you are aware of today that's important to God. It's about what goes on in your quiet thoughts. It's about what you allow to shape your spirit and your soul before the Lord. It's those things that take root in us. And if unguarded and unprotected, that's what ends up coming out of us. That is dishonoring to God. That is damaging to our relationships. That is undermining, it undercuts the very goal of our life, which is to, to walk toward God and with God, and it cuts the gut out of it. Jesus says it's about the heart, it's what comes out of a man, it's what comes out of a woman that says so much about the reality of the person. You see, we we like to just kind of monitor my my Attending church faithfully. Check. Am I reading? Did I read a Bible verse today? Check. Right? But those are the easy things. Those are things we need to do. Of course we do. But if that's all we look at and that's all we focus, then we're totally missing it. We're aiming at all things. Because the goal of our life, our spiritual life, is to walk with Jesus every day and to enjoy His presence with us every day, and to let him touch and shape and give new meaning to our inner world. And that's the goal. That's the invitation of Jesus for us. Jesus would come here toward the end of the passage. In verse 20, he says, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. Then he lists off about 12 different things 
12 different words that, that give descriptions. Six of them uh, really are words, I think, that, that describe attitudes, attitudes of the heart, attitudes of, of our mind, the way we approach life, that, that then affect and uh, give, um, give fuel for the actions of our life. And the other six deal with actions that flow, that, that he describes as evil, evil thoughts, evil attitudes, and evil actions. Here's what he says in verse 21. For from within, from, from inside, from these inner spaces of your life, from the heart, he says, these things flow. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice. Those are the actions. Evil actions that, that demonstrate what is truly happening in us. And then evil attitudes, things like deceit and lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and falling. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. So Jesus is trying to shift their focus from dealing with the externals of life to allowing God to deal with the inner world your life. The inner sphere that gives shape to who you really are. This is why I believe in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. This is why we're, we're given this admonition in Proverbs describing wisdom. It says this, above all else, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of your life. Above all else, guard your heart. Men and women, as followers of Jesus, we, we need to be people who are guarding our hearts. That we are monitoring what we allow to shape our inner life. Because what you allow in will eventually take root and will find its way out. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I want to ask you this morning, who is it that knows what's going on inside of you? Who knows your inner life? And I know you'll be quick to say God, you'd be right. <laughs> of course God does. Many of us would say, well, I know what's going on, and I would say, yeah, probably most of the time. But it is true that we can ignore what's happening inside us, right? Here's what I think is so important. You know, like a spider on a web. You ever see a web sitting out in your garden and uh, you don't see a spider? You can bet that there's a spider very close. And you know what that spider's waiting for? He's waiting for a vibration on the line. And once that vibration happens, that spider will scamper from wherever he's hiding and he'll buzz out to find what's uh, just hit his line. I think more often... We need to be people who are paying attention to the lines of our hearts that when, when things begin to give shape to us and it, it sends a spiritual vibration that's not a healthy vibration to us, that we need to pay attention and follow that line and let God deal with it so it doesn't take root. And if it doesn't take root, then it doesn't come out. We need to be people who learn to guard our hearts. Because we, we're good at tricking ourselves. That's why the psalmist says, Lord, seek, search me and try me. 
know my inner ways. What's so helpful in helping us guard our hearts is to also have spiritual friendships in a church like this. And here's my concern for this church at times, is that I think there are lots of people that probably have a lot of good surface-level friendships, but I wonder how many really have deep, deep relationships with people, with a brother or sister, who can really help call you up toward faith and good deeds. Somebody who can help encourage you in your walk with the Lord that will help you see what they see and how you present yourself to others because they love you. You see, surface-level relationships in a church are so numbing and they're so deceptive because we can think that we have great relationships with people, and we probably do. But how many of us have relationships that are of such a depth of quality in this church that invite us to be held lovingly accountable, that I would want and desire for you to help spur me on, to help build me up? I think those are the kinds of friendships that Jesus would invite us into so that we can guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, won't you guard your heart because it is the wellspring of your life. You see, we're not talking about the heart that's described in Valentine's Day. That's not the heart we're talking about. We're not talking about an emotional heart or a heart that's broken because it's love sick. That's not the heart the Bible's talking about. We're talking about what is it that that, that rules and motivates the decisions and impulses of your life. That's the heart. It's the central processing unit of your life. Above all else, guard how the CPU of your life is filled and shaped and programmed. Guard your heart. Because it's not what comes in from other things, it's what you allow to take root, and then it comes out, and that is what makes someone unclean, Jesus says. So the invitation is to let the Lord Jesus fill your heart, to let Him shape you, to let His Spirit in in every part of your life, in your thought life, into your affection life, in your attitudes life, and certainly into your actions. Out of the heart that the life speaks. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love that, that doesn't let us just say, stay comfortable all the time. But you come and you disrupt us, you edit our lives, that we need you to do that. And we pray that you would put your finger on us today in whatever area we may need you to to touch and renew and, and to speak into God. We want to be people. We will be people who allow you to do that. God, we will not be people who stand with clenched fists before you. We will not be people like that before you. For we come on bended knee and outstretched hands, palm up, we give you all of our lives. We hold nothing from you because we trust you. 
And we love you because you first loved us. So thank you. Thank you for calling us to let you examine our lives today with the psalmist. We do ask you, invite you to come and search us and try us and know us deep within. You know us better than we know ourselves. Help us to be people who know and learn how to guard our hearts because out of it flows the wellspring of our lives. Jesus, thank you.